0: Hey folks, it's Sean Neal from the Widget Agency sitting in for Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel and you're listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Yeah. All right, crowdfunders, settle down, settle in, grab yourself a drink, grab yourself a... Uh, LaCroix. I'm sitting here enjoying a uh, LaCroix hibiscus. It's a new episode that's successfully funded. I'm Sean Neal sitting in for your regular host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, who's up in northern Michigan taking a, a well deserved little rest and vacation. Uh, today we got a brand new episode. We are uh, interviewing Christian Reed of a very successful uh, Kickstarter campaign called the M1 Caliber from Recon Tools. This is a uh, uh, a pretty rare find on Kickstarter, a, uh, a tool designed for uh, contract workers, for home builders, for construction workers. You don't usually see that on Kickstarter, but here we go. It's uh, it's Monday, June 29th. Uh, what's been going on in Woodshedland? Well, let me tell you, um, pretty alarming situation here in Michigan. We got the uh, COVID-19 creeping back up. We got our, uh, starting just like everybody, starting to see those uh, daily infections on the rise. Um, We've been opened up a little bit here, you know, get the the dine-in with social distancing going on, the restaurants, the bars are back open. But I got to tell you, man, I am not seeing the mask love. I'm seeing a lot of people just walking around without a mask, um, especially in the suburbs. You know, you get outside the city of Detroit and get into those suburbs and uh, very, very little people respecting the social distancing, respecting that mask. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid that we're going to see a little uptick, and that things are going to clamp back down here, and it's going to get get worse for us. And uh, you know, if you did your did your little history, uh, uh, you know, uh, when this crisis started, you now Michigan was one of the worst states uh, for for the spread in Detroit, in particular. We had a, a particularly high death rate um, uh, and problem in Detroit, and uh, you know, that's where I live. And uh, it's a little alarming to see see people being so nonchalant about it. So. So be nice, be kind, people. Wear that mask. Be be kind to your fellow man. Show that you show that you want them to live. You want them to uh stay healthy and uh and be able to live through this this global pandemic, the situation we're all in. Wear that mask. Put that cloth on. So what else is going on? Well, you know, uh pretty busy here in Woodshed Land. We got several campaigns have launched and uh projects up and running, doing the thing, doing the job. Um you know we're uh, we're trying to to balance, uh, uh, you know, getting back to a, a pretty regular work schedule, and also uh, try to take those family vacations, do those things. You know, my, my my personal world. When I when I when I like to take vacations or, or take that time off, you know, I get together with groups of people that I, I came up with doing uh, music and drumming and and kind of touring, and uh, you know, we've been making regular regular connections on apps like house party and snapchat but uh you know i don't think that's going to be a a realistic deal for us you know normally what we do is all these guys i came up with doing an activity called uh, drum and bugle core there's gonna be some of you out there who know what i'm talking about for the rest of you just trust me it's cool but in my uh, high school years and college years i I participated in an activity where you know you would uh kind of like professional marching band in the summertime but on tour And I was in the drum line, snare drummer and bass drummer, you know, doing the the drum line thing. And, you know, the the organization I was with, a group called the Glassman out of Toledo, um, we had a, a really tight group of guys in the drum line. You know, I started in 1991. And basically... The same, you know, core group of twenty or so guys uh, was with me through the whole five years of that experience. You know, we had some guys come in and out, and you know, age out at twenty-one. So as people get older, they kind of peel off. But that that main core of us kind of kind of stayed true, and, and it made it for a really uh, great experience as we grew as musicians and talents uh, together, and as adults together. And I, I think one of the things I cherish most in life is that. Um, uh, for the most part, all of us have stayed in touch, you know, and this is, you know, prior to social media being a thing. We, you know, we set up, a thanks to my one buddy, Eric Kraft, who's kind of the ringleader of the group here. Um, he organized pretty early on that, uh, once a year we would all commit to gathering in, uh, a central Kentucky, which is kind of the center mass geographically for where we all are. And, and where a lot of the guys were from, where we're from Northern and Central Kentucky, And uh, we would get together on on this buddy of ours farm and, uh, you know, do a a guy's weekend. You know, we would uh, go do the bourbon tours and play some golf and shoot some skeet and barbecue and talk on the porch and, you know, just basically get together. And when we were younger, these were pretty rowdy affairs, you know, as you can imagine, you know, in your 20s getting together at these events. But, you know, as we've all aged... And we're all in our early to mid forties. You know, this has become a uh, kind of slowed down affair. But the thing that all of us look forward to every summer, and you know, I think that this year, because of the, you know, everyone's got families, everyone's, you know, uh, spread across the country, and you know, some guys had to travel in the plane, and whatnot, or long drives, and you know, I think I'm a little worried that it's not going to go down this year. It's going to be the first time in almost 20 years that that we haven't done this, and. uh You know, it's uh I just don't think it's safe with the coronavirus. I can't imagine, you know, the whole process of getting together uh under these conditions uh unless we see a major change here. So yeah, one of the you know, one of the big highlights of my my summer travel and the way I kind of plan my leisure life is uh probably gonna be off the table here. So I've been trying to think of uh things that I can do, things that uh maybe apply my, my energy and, and resources to. And, uh, you know, as I've mentioned a couple times when I've uh, guest host for, for Jeff, you know, I've been uh, working on the drumming again. Uh, I, I played in another professional musical this winter, right, right before coronavirus, actually right before the shutdown. Thankfully, we get to finish our run and, and, and close the show before we were forced to. And uh you know I, I just maintained and kept up. I've been you know investing in the gear, investing in, in building the garage out to, to be a proper drum room, albeit quiet with the quiet mesh head so that I got that thing going on and you know right before right before the uh, the shutdown happened, I was um, on on a, on a on the warpath for a good six months of uh, getting back in shape and doing CrossFit. And, uh, you know, I was going every day and, and really making some strides right before the shutdown. And, you know, obviously the shutdown came and you can't, not only can you not do a gym, but you can't do a gym where you're, you know, right on top of each other sweating and lifting and flipping tires and doing all the crazy stuff that you do at CrossFit. So that that kind of shut down, except uh, last week, you know, we, we started this experiment where the gym started to come back, uh, but doing outdoors, you know, so we're outdoor on the parking lot, you know, on the asphalt in, in you know, 90 degree heat in the sun, uh, trying to do what we can across it. And I got to tell you, man, uh, it kicked my ass. I mean, I am hurting in places I never thought I would hurt. Uh, cause we're, you know, we're limited to doing kind of body weight type of things and planking and, you know, inverted pushups and handstand pushups and all these kind of things that are, uh, man, when you're, you're good at my size, body weight exercises are a little bit more challenging than the, the average bear. So, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think a goal I'm going to have this summer, um, seeing as though there, you know, gyms reopening, you know, in, in any regular fashion seems to be something that's probably not going to happen for, uh, you know, at least in the short term. and long term, it could be it could be months or a year before uh, we see that. You know, I've got to I've got to find a new outlet to you know go back to my health goals and maybe. Um, also served that function of, you know, getting out of the four walls, getting out of the edit room here that I, I spent all my time here in, at Woodshed Agency. So, you know, I've, I've kind of been exploring the options, uh, you know, thinking about uh, maybe do I do I run, do I do the trail run thing? You know, I'm definitely a, a bigger dude in a bigger build, kind of like a linebacker, so thought of running is a little scary. Um, I've been exploring the bike options, but uh, good luck finding a bike during the the coronavirus uh, shutdown. And I don't know if you guys have explored that. You know, you, I went to every bike shop and every option online, and and there are just precious to, to little bikes available, especially one for a dude that's 6'4". So that that's been a challenge. So I don't know. You know, I'm kind of exploring. You know, what 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 do I do? What 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 is available to me? out in the world, you know, and maybe a kayak, pop, pop a kayak in the Detroit River. I, I row quite a bit with, uh, with CrossFit on, on, the rowers, you know, maybe, maybe some sort of, uh, uh, rowing, uh, situation on actual water or, uh, you know, something, something I can actually <laughs> acquire, achieve and execute. And, uh, maybe there's a trip for that in my future. Maybe it's a biking trip, you know, a little, little solo ride through the, uh, through the mountains, to the Ozarks, or something, or, or maybe a a little uh, water exploration—you know, rowing trip uh, up in northern Michigan, or explore the lakes in Minnesota, or something like that. I, I don't know, but I gotta I gotta align this this mission I've been on to to get my my body back in shape and my health back in order. But uh, but uh, probably a little more. Slim down or solo endeavor versus uh, you know these these group things I'm attracted to. So yeah, so that's that's what's been on my mind lately. So if you're if you're a a crowd funder out there, a startup, uh, someone with an idea, someone someone who who who's got this thing they want to bring to life and not sure how to approach and you've been thinking about maybe doing a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or or some sort of crowdfunding and you're wondering boy man how do I tackle this beast I need some help. Go on over to woodshed.agency go over to our website uh, check it out sign up sign up for our email list sign up for a chat where you can get on the phone with other Jeff and I and, uh, and we'll have a quick conversation with you and look at your idea look at your campaign see See what's going on. If you already got a campaign out there, it's already up and running and it's stalled out a little bit and you're, you're kind of wondering what you can do. Go over to woodshed.agency, click that link, sign up for sign up for the call with Jeff or and we'll we'll will help you out, man. We'll give you our best advice. We'll show you some of the best practices for for crowdfunding and how to either Approach getting a a campaign started the right way so you launch and you can be successful and and, and you follow the path of these great Kickstarters or great crowdfundings. Or uh, if you're up and running right now, maybe some ways we can can help you boost some uh, backers and energy and and get you across that goal. So go over to woodshed.agency, sign up for our mailing list, sign up for that free consultation with Jeff or I, and uh, let us get you going here. Let let us help you become successfully funded. So here we go. Without further ado, our interview with Christian Reed of Recon Tools, talking about the M1 Calibre. Over on Kickstarter. All right, the red light is on. That means we're here to make some podcast magic. I'm sitting here with a Christian Reed of N1 Caliber Tools. How's it going? Pretty
1: good. Pretty good. How are you today, Sean?
0: I'm doing fantastic. So uh, we always start off our podcast by getting a little sound level by asking our guests a question. So, what did you have for breakfast today?
1: I didn't have any breakfast so far. My wife offered me a bagel, but thought I'd wait a little bit longer for uh, lunchtime going on.
0: Yeah, you and me both. Like I, I was, I was getting yeah. ready to have a, a Cliff Bar and then realized that we might have a connection issue here, and then I went into that mode. <laughs> so, panic, <laughs> um, getting everything set up. Cool, cool. So, um, you know the. Uh, we're talking about your Kickstarter campaign today, uh, its Zen one caliber a Z1 caliber—a better way to measure. It, it's a digital measuring tool, and, and as we sit today, um, you're at about thirty-seven thousand or three hundred seventy um, thousand with, dollars, with you know quite some time to go—about a month left on your campaign, which is fantastic. Uh, tell us about how this idea came about. Your background and, and what led you to this.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I went to school at MIT. Was always in the shop trying to uh, make things. Um, as you can see in my background, this is a small section of my basement. But I have a full uh, machine fabrication shop in my basement. And um, since elementary school, I've just enjoyed making things. So um, the first part of my c- career after college um, was at uh, Formlabs, which is a desktop three D printing company where we made some uh, really cutting edge products. You can see two of them behind me now, uh, the two orange machines. Um, we use them extensively for prototype typing. But um, I think that was the first real taste of the idea of enabling people to make things that otherwise they wouldn't traditionally be able to make. And um, while 3D printers are great, I think you know we went through the hype bubble in 2014 and 15 with MakerBots of everyone thinking, oh, this is going to replace Amazon. Everyone will have um, a 3D printer in their house. But um obviously had several flaws with that assumption but i think one of the biggest ones is that there's still quite a bit of specialized knowledge you need to understand um computer-aided design or cad to make those devices so um in the background for quite a number of years now i've really been exploring the most fundamental way people make things now which is generally to go to a home improvement store whether it's home depot lowe's menards ace hardware whatever um is close by you can get a drill there a saw do a nice woodworking project and make some uh you know whatever from Uh, The tools you have there, but um, I guess the other remarkable thing about that is just how little I guess the innovation has been in that industry um, of tools and home improvement. Where I think people will be surprised to learn, you know, a tape measure was invented in 1880, a circular saw um, 1932. So a lot lot of these things have been around for quite a while. And you know, if we compare that to say the average aisle at uh, Best Buy or something, you know, you'd be laughable if you had an aisle out of um, 2000 and you know even 15. And, you know, walked into a Best Buy and saw that. Where at Home Depot, you know, besides the advent of lithium-ion batteries and brushless motors, it's largely the same as it was many years ago. So I think that's what really founded our uh, vision at Recon Tools, which is how do we explore this opportunity and apply modern technology to provide um, either functional improvements, uh, saving time or other um, advantages to uh, everyone from uh, professionals who are doing this uh, uh, eight hours a day uh, Five days a week, and you know the average DIYer who wants to pick up something and use it without the um, specialized learning curve or training that's traditionally required. So I think that's what really brought us to make the M1 caliper, as well as um, several follow-on products, which follow the same theme of uh, enabling and lowering this barrier of entry to uh, fabrication.
0: Right, right. So tell me, tell me specifically about this tool,
1: the the, the device
0: itself, and how how it works with the, the saw.
1: Sure. So the M1 caliper is our first device, and uh, I guess it's both categorized as a measurement tool. It's taking out of uh, the cutting process a tape measure where you would extend a tape measure, make a mark where you want to do it, line it up on the saw, and then make the cut on it. Where this, um, we've designed it to be pretty universal, so it works with a wide variety of saws. doesn't matter if it's uh, a rigid, a DeWalt, a Milwaukee, it can clamp on it, the arm goes down, and uh, it's pretty simple. You just uh, slide the wood under it, and we have, um, I think, you know, best highlighted on Kickstarter as well as social media. A lot of people see it and like, huh, I'm surprised this didn't exist before. But it's, again, not a particularly complicated device. Um, It's just uh, executed nicely. Uh, we were very thoughtful about the user experience while using it and then um, has the uh, professional build behind it to make sure it's actually, one, getting good results and, two, durable enough to survive on the job site conditions.
0: Definitely. So so it looks like, you know... um, You're you're kind of speeding through what it actually does. It it looks to me like you're designing a way to make the Norm Abram rule of measure twice, cut once uh, obsolete.
1: Yes, I think we've definitely used that. Yeah, (laughs) get it right the first time with this instead of, because again, we're taking variables out of the equation where during the process of doing a traditional way, you're taking out a tape measure, you're making a line, are you cutting on the right side of the line? What side of the hash mark on the tape measure? What thickness pencil are you using? How's the saw blade lined up with it? We're here, we're removing a lot of those variables. And now once it displays on the screen, as long as it's set up and being operated correctly, which we've tried to simplify as much as possible, yes, it should be a very good cut. And, you know, the first couple of times of demoing it, you get a little nervous behind the person using it because the first thing they're going to do after cutting it is whip out their tape measure and confirm it's correct. But um, after, you know, the fourth or fifth time of seeing that happen continually correctly where people like oh wow that's uh, pretty spot on so um,
0: yeah so this being an audio medium let me describe this a little bit so kind of imagine a a c clamp or or a wood clamp um that looks like a a spring-loaded way of of getting onto the um the guide board of your table saw and that has a digital readout on it and then there's a, a wheel that kind of moves up over the board and that wheel is, is much like, I don't know the name of the device, but something you would use to, to measure distance on the ground.
1: with A wheel. Yeah, a, a measuring wheel, I think, yeah, yeah. for like uh, surveyors. And exactly.
0: So same kind of idea is giving you a, a precise down to the, you know, 100th uh, decimal point of exactly where that board
1: is on the blade. You know, it, it's a yep. very precise yep. device. I think people are surprised with that, too, that there are actually tolerances for printing even a tape measure, and this one can oftentimes beat out the absolute uh, accuracy as well as just repeatability, uh, sometimes not repeatability, but accuracy definitely can hold it longer than most tape measure printing can, which is uh, pretty remarkable. And I think anytime someone sees a new device, especially in a very brand-sensitive uh, market such as tools, it's going to take um, quite a while to build up that trust. But also related to Kickstarter, we made about um, a dozen prototypes, Made sure we got them out to people ahead of the campaign right. um, such that you know if you search it on youtube you can find at least five or six industry professionals reviewers trace people who have used the device and can give their honest feedback on it versus just believing uh, what we're saying on the campaign which definitely um contributed to you know getting over this initial hump i guess of uh does this device is cool but does it actually work or is it a gimmicky uh product
0: right so i imagine Who is your core audience for this? Who is the person that's going to really be buying this at volume? And keep in mind, you know, as of this conversation, there is 3,100 people who have have pledged for this. So it's a pretty large audience.
1: to be honest, I think you know Kickstarter is probably the worst possible place we could launch a tool like this. Um, you know, the the audience of Kickstarter is not one. You know, fortunately, we we find people and continue to find them, which is good. Um, I think one of the more remarkable things, if you look at the community tab, just the breakdown of new backers who have never used Kickstarter before versus returning ones, and it's most campaigns it's very much in favor of returning backers. Where ours, right. I think, we've had the uphill battle of taking people who are very involved in the trades, um, you know, a professional carpenter. Construction worker and convincing them one, you know, this is a great tool to buy from a no-name company, and then two, to use Kickstarter, which for the first-time backer is a little confusing. Of, yeah. is this a scam? Am I entering? Why? Why haven't I entered my shipping address yet? So it's a very, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, up- uphill battle, and we definitely have a lot of feedback as well as uh, customer support just to tell people like, no, this is this is how Kickstarter works. We are delivering, and you know, I think that was one of our uh, initial goals with handing out so many uh, demo units is to get over this burden to show it to. A real product this is a real deal um, we're not here to make a one-off product we're here to build a brand and a company around the idea of this new generation of uh, tool technology so um, yeah. I think that's definitely been the um, goal for us and you know I think it's been met with pretty good success I mean you can see again we've converted a lot of those people for the first time to uh, back a project on Kickstarter and put their trust in us and now we have to obviously you know deliver on that promise and uh, we're confident we're able to do that and give this uh, exceptional product uh, to market by the end of the year
0: well, I think I think you know from a de- design perspective and laying out your page, you know, w- one of the challenges with doing any product on Kickstarter is you got to convey not only the functionality of what this thing does, but through a digital medium, you got to convey a sense of build quality and materials and touch and feel and durability. Um, where, where you're, like you said, not only a brand new product but a brand new company. There's not like I can go to a Home Depot and pick up. Your drill and get a sense oh they made this drill pretty good this new product's gonna match this so you know when you look at it you know design notes this looks like a tool like that would be at home between like dewalt and ryobi you know all all similar design aesthetics use of color use of materials you know it's in it's in the language of what your your competitors might be and you know the one thing that i that we're really incorporating a ton of in our modern campaigns is your use of gifs over image really sells it for me. You know, in the first, you know, the first scroll down on the page after the video, you know, I'm seeing the clamp process and I'm seeing how hard this guy is clamping it to the table. And you can tell immediately, this is a durable piece of equipment. You know, this isn't some cheap plastic clamp. It, it is really being horsed on there and, and not going to move at all. And then, you know, when you see the the board pass through it, you can tell that, you know, they're using a you're using a really rigid spring mechanism or some sort of mechanism on this wheel, that this again is not going to be a weak point, a break point. So in two images, I've already solved the oh wow, this looks like something that I would pick up at my my home store. And just by the the choice of images you you're using there and the motion you're using, I can tell that this is durably
1: made. You know, and I think that was a big, big brand perception, as he rightfully said, is very important in a lot of industries, but tooling especially that a lot of people will buy a tool, even if it's the same exact function and features, even slightly less just because it has yeah. um, a yellow label on it, a red label on it, a blue Label on it. So I think that was, you know, obvi- like anything, it's going to be an uphill battle for us to establish that. And, you know, we've worked very hard on this brand to, you know, it's fine if DIYers want to buy it and, you know, buy it to use it once every couple of months, but we're really making it, designing it, and branding it towards professionals as that's the highest standard to be. And that's the one we're going to try to um, meet and deliver with the quality of our product. And then if other people want to buy it, obviously they're more than welcome to, but we know we have that highest level of uh, scrutiny internally when designing it as well as robustness. To perform in the field under uh, real world job site conditions.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, the, the problem, you know, I think when you, when you think about it, if a contractor or, or someone who is using their tools frequently is your target audience, you know, mm-hmm. you really got to be communicating that you're solving a problem for them. And, and I would imagine, you know, probably the problem you're solving for them is time and accuracy,
2: right?
0: Is that the main yeah, thing you're think- going for?
1: I think it's they play hand in hand together and you know if you know, when you look at this one off, you're probably not going to save a ton of time making two or three cuts a day, it'll be convenient for you. And if you're new to using it, it'll certainly be valuable. But I think the people who are really going to be benefit this who are using it for eight or 10 hours a day, and then, you know, those couple seconds, uh, save up, they start turning into minutes, the minutes are turning into hours, and then uh, every week, they start saving two hours. So that's going to give them a competitive advantage over uh, other people help them get other jobs done work on uh, more jobs, so I think that's really the value add here, as well as you know. I think every day on social media we're seeing new applications. We've been very active of posting new videos and demonstrations each day because it, it doesn't exist right now. So I think people have sometimes trouble conceptualizing how it works, but um, we're very excited to get in the field, and I'm sure we're going to discover. 10 use cases we had never thought of that people right. uh, realize just because it's a convenient form factor. Again, this technology exists, but you'd have to be pretty clever about how to have it spring-loaded, how to clamp it to a device, how to get a screen that you can see on it where we've uh, largely solved all these problems in an integrated device, yeah. put it on if you need it. If you want to put it out of the way, take it off. Um, everything is very simple and straightforward um, and really leads to the two points that you described, which is probably speed primarily, but also supporting it with the accuracy and precision to back it up, right? Um, things can be fast, but if they crappy and giving you junk cuts, yeah. it's not going to be very useful and quickly become a novelty item versus um, a functionally useful device.
0: Right. Well I would imagine, you know, you know, two of my good friends are, are home building contractors, you know, and in their world, you know, the job of making cuts for a frame out is usually brought down to one of the lowest guys on the totem pole. Right. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. doing these cuts and feeding the craftsmen, you know, and when you got somebody who's making even the smallest little variances, and how they're applying a line to the board, or measuring, or interpreting where the blade goes—you know—that makes a big difference in the final quality of the build-out. You know, those those small Certainly. details matter. Yeah. So let's let's loop back to something you talked about. You, you hinted on earlier is um, your commitment to making multiple prototypes and getting those into the field um, for for customer review. Talk to me about who you chose and how that process
1: came about. Sure. So I come from a very strong product development background and, um, you know, know the skepticism of Kickstarter nowadays with, you know, extreme fiascos like Cool is Cooler to other Mm -hmm. smaller ones where, you know, someone raises a couple hundred thousand dollars and can't deliver on the product where I have been through multiple um, product introductions from R&D when you have early concepts to how do you actually manufacture it and know, you know, how difficult each phase is and the challenges to address it on here. So one of the points I think we want to communicate is, you know, we're a new company in addition to the product being unique, how are people not going to think, oh, is this a Kickstarter or, um, you know, we'll just wait till it comes out down the road, which is not going to help us with our initial expenses to get it to that point so i think brainstorming it quite a bit i think something that builds up the confidence is obviously one sharing our background which you know people can believe or choose not to believe. So we can just do our best to describe that. But uh, another form of proof is actually showing that the technology you have works. So um, we can certainly do demonstrations. We put together a nice video, but um, even better than that is people they trust and know and have seen uh, exercise in the trades as well as for our internal development, where we find more local contractors. So I think that's kind of how we split it up into publicly facing ones. So people, we gave a demo unit said, give it a try out. We'll collect feedback, but we'd also hope that you could post, um, uh, a YouTube video an Instagram post or something about the device to help us um, promote the device itself as well as share what you think of it as well as um, internal testing which we kept in the Boston area which is uh, going to everyone from uh, cabinet makers to furniture makers to uh, exterior construction interior construction finish and just see see how they use the device and this was very critical um, with some of the earlier prototypes of figuring out what are people going to use it for how do they like it what doesn't work what breaks on it Um, if they're trying to do the same thing but can't do it does that mean we should edit as a feature? Are we missing something? So I think the combination of getting that early um, beta testing feedback as well as Um, validating the product by giving it to people and kind of dueling it where we got beta feedback as well, but also gave public confidence. And, you know, we were very clear with everyone. A lot of people say, hey, this is a 3D printed prototype, but I think people can see the vision in it and has, you know, if it's already performing at this very high exceptional standard now, it can go nowhere but up once the parts are even more refined and made in a much more controlled uh, contract manufacturing environment. So I think those were kind of the two big takeaways we got from that. And Um, I think we selected at this point, you know, a lot of people just who would work with us, you know, we get a lot of crazy requests from YouTubers like sure that no problem, that'll be uh, $20,000 We're like well, we don't have the budget for that and kind of just want the feedback. So we did start with people who are just interested, hey, this is a cool product, it doesn't exist before I'll give you one right now and you can use it for whatever you want um, to test it out. And, you know, we got pretty good reception with that. I think a lot of people were excited about it because it is such a new and unique product that they were willing to go out on a limb and help us out for it versus, um, other companies. If I'm making a new drill, for example, they'd probably, you know, charge us money for it because people are not super interested in seeing a new drill because they've existed for, you know, whatever X number of years. You had
0: to do something very special. Yeah. Yeah. So convince them why
1: it's worth their time.
0: So Norm Abram and the This Old House team was off the table, even though you're in Boston, right?
1: (laughs) We do have, I think... We want to. So we had the first group of reviewers who are mostly local contractors, as well as uh, some tour review sites. I think our second phase, once we start getting production units, are the um, Norm Abrams and you know Bob Villas of the world. And we yeah. have gotten some initial interest with that. But we want to make sure you know there's there's no room for really screwing that up. So we're going to have make sure we have the production units ready. And I think when we do our bigger shipping push in November, December is when we'll start to uh, see some of those pop up in the news. Yeah.
0: I'd love to see this be the Tom Silva what is this on Ask This Old House where he brings the yeah. brings the tool and hey, how does this get used? You know, that that would be the the gold standard here. Um so you know, you, you mentioned that this is the first in in a wave of a pipeline. You know, what what kind of insights not not so much about giving away what's next for you, but you know, we work with um, several clients, especially in the exercise and um and, and photo accessory business. Where those two industries have really embraced Kickstarter is their product development roadmap. You know, you know, mm-hmm. we, we just launched a brand new line of bags with one of our clients who does camera bags uh, this week on Kickstarter, um, and you know, the idea being that baked into the business model is launching the next thing on Kickstarter before it goes to digital marketing and whatnot. So, what what kind of thought led you to a decision, especially knowing how? how little of your audience is on this platform of using this tool to to bring this idea to life.
1: Um, I think we definitely took a risk and a plunge on here because while there are some examples of, tape measures and tools are really not the tar. they're more what i would call gimmicks and this is i think a fine balance that we i wouldn't say struggle with but are very cognizant of in what we're doing now that there's a very fine line and people are very sensitive to you know the slightest deviations to either side of the line between what is a gimmick a five and one whatever and what is an actual like functional increase and we were very careful on this and definitely the beta feedback helps push it over on the functional side of things but most of the examples we could find a kickstarter i would unequivocally call, you know, gimmicks. They're, Definitely. you know, flashing and some, some of them raise a lot of money. Uh, the bagel tape measure raised 1.1 $1. 1 million. There was um, a laser level that raised uh, 550,000. But, you know, do you see any of those now? You can buy them maybe on, you know, a no. gadget website or something, but they're not going to sell in Home Depot because people will laugh at them if they see them there. And I think we were, you know, willing to sacrifice the gimmicky factor and maybe make more, ne- more money on Kickstarter versus build and establish our brands by sticking very strictly to a professional device offering quantifiable functionality um, on it so um, i think we definitely took a gamble going on kickstarter but we knew that you know it had the positive impact of uh, awareness and people realize uh, utilizing it as a platform as well as you know getting the initial funds to do it so um we did consider either doing an internal pre-order or something else uh, along those lines but we had a pretty good feeling that we could convince people on kickstarter and i think we've been doing a Pretty decent job so far. Again, we'll see where we wind up on it, but um, it seems like a cool platform to do it. And you know, there had to be a first time for a lot of products on there. So again, yeah. I don't know if there's the same interest in uh, other um, professional products on Kickstarter, but I think we would, um, pretty certainly consider launching some of our next products on Kickstarter because we'll have built up this audience. People are aware they have it there and they'll start to get delivery of our products and see the, uh, high standards they were built and made to. And, uh, it's, it's a good platform because it raises awareness. This is a, again, an industry that just hasn't have had the same level of innovation as it has been for, uh, you know, internet of things, uh, you know, other consumer electronic devices. So part of the other goal is just raising awareness that there is a lot of innovation to be had here. And obviously we're going to try to take advantage of that as much as possible, but there's no reason that, you know, other interested parties can't get involved uh, either on it. So um, it seems good so far. I think we would still, you know, have so far had a pretty, I won't say uh, fully planned like success, but it's been uh, good so far. And I think we would certainly consider it again for any uh, subsequent products that we bring to market in the coming uh, months and years.
0: Um, tell me a little bit about your ad strategy. You know, how, how have you built awareness? Uh, sure. Uh, so I think.
1: I think like many things we took the approach of like we need the first big two days and then we need to follow it up with a sustainment plan after that so um, again this is where COVID I think helped us a little bit because we were originally planning on lunching much earlier in the end of April and then COVID kind of changed plans a little bit we had a um, the National Hardware Show which we we're planning on physically lunching in Las Vegas was moved to September um, so that certainly changed our plans a little bit um, so we took advantage of that time as much as possible we got a lot more reviewers to help us out which was definitely a big source of traffic on the first couple of days and tried to time that up as well as possible with the lunch um two was to build up a mailing list so we did run quite a bit of mostly uh facebook and instagram ads because they, and we got the cost per click pretty low as well as conversion to signing up on the mailing list so i think in um a month and a half we got about fifteen thousand signups for the um, uh, mailing list that we put together and a pretty high um haven't got the final numbers quite yet, but probably 10 to 15% conversions from that list uh, within the first couple of days on it. So I think that was definitely absolutely critical and imperative to the first day, like getting over that, you know, adding a street credit by clearing six figures on the first day. Um, and now the sustainment phase, we're kind of toying around with a couple of different things to see how we can uh, get this ad sustainment in and hopefully, you know, wind up with close to, if not over a million dollars by the end of it by maintaining this 20 to 25K per day range.
0: Did you um? Did you take advantage of the notify me tool on Kickstarter in the pre-launch? Uh,
1: I didn't really realize that was a feature until very close to the end. Um, when I realized we generated the preview link and that you could try to start to see the followers who were adding to it and uh, you know subsequently get notified, we only did it like uh, a week before we launched, and then it went you know pretty quickly from fifty to um, uh, probably low two or three hundreds i think but in retrospect i think we would have have done it a little bit earlier but this also i think feeds back into our mailing list strategy of that we pretty intentionally didn't mention kickstarter we said there would be a pre-order june 16th i think on it because we didn't want people to and i I don't know exactly if this was true or not but we knew people sometimes especially who haven't used it before a negative impression of it so we were very careful to kind of ease into that transition of pre-order from like six weeks out to week and a half out then start to lightly mention kickstarter and then be like this will be live on kickstarter tomorrow and it seems like that plan worked out pretty well and we didn't get too much kickback again certainly comments here and there of like oh kickstarter is this a scam or something but we wanted to keep any kind of negativity in people's minds down until the very end on it but there certainly would have been other channels to promote the notify me page if we had done that uh, earlier Mm -hmm. than a a week out from lunch
0: so yeah so you know i think the other interesting decision is the longer run of the campaign you know you're you're, you know best practices are usually
1: 30 days or under and you're obviously running much longer what was the decision making process going into that um, I think that's good logic to have if you're making a product that's um, conducive to the Kickstarter audience. So a lifestyle product, such you know what you described, if it's photography-based, a bag, um, some, something that's commonly found at Kickstarter, I think the audience is already there and they're going to be saturated with it in 30 days. Um, for us, we figured there would be a little bit more of an awareness curve where we're, again, bringing the majority of our customers still at this point, I think, outside of Kickstarter. So we didn't think there would be that same advantage of getting urgency and might help us again clear um, a various milestone on Kickstarter, which again, we're already well past the point of you know, what we need to launch this product, but now it's just a matter of uh, awareness and something we can point back to as again, this is the first half of the battle. And like I mentioned earlier on the conversation, probably the worst possible place we could be selling this product, but ultimately we do want to get into those places like Home Depot and Lowe's. And this would be um, you know the same way that you raise VC money. It's like that company raised a 1.3 million Series A. This will be like, oh, this company raised X amount on Kickstarter. Starter. So, regardless exactly. of actually needing it, it's just a good thing to point back to as kind of street creditive as well as establish a market. People are going to ask, you know, who is going to be interested in this, and if we can show that there are, you know, already ten thousand people who, you know, put their faith in the company and pre-ordered it. That's uh, just good leverage for us to continue to grow and expand our uh, vision, mission, and products.
0: Okay. So, last question. So, you're you're shipping in in December of 2020. Um, what are your plans? In between the the end of Kickstarter and your shipping date, what are uh, are you going to be doing a a post campaign strategy, anything like that?
1: Sure, I think we're we're exploring a few options now. We'll definitely still want to collect pre orders in the meantime, as undoubtedly there will still be a demand for them. And then we'll probably excuse me uh, pinnacle that off in um, probably early November, right around the holiday season, where we start to more. Aggressively push for um, pre orders and hopefully sales not too long after that once we start building up inventory. So I think that's the um, general concept of operations. Obviously, we'll continue our uh, manufacturing operations to get it up and ready, but you know, pending no crazy unforeseen circumstances with COVID. And we have done some pretty diligent planning to deal with the various contingencies that are possible based on that, just because of the um, volatility of the world and yeah. you know, hence the supply chain and process. So we have pretty c- as confident as we can be that we have at least several options for various conditions that could pop up in the meantime. Um, and we'll you know deal with it the best we can to uh, achieve those goals. It's going to you know, benefit everyone if we ship on time, and then we're able to start selling them th- through other channels, which is going to be potentially even more lucrative for us. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, you know, clearly a, a great idea. You're getting you're getting awesome traction on it, and um, you know, if, you, if you're doing about 25k a day average, you're, you're doing a lot right, especially in the, these times of uncertainty here. All right. Well, Christian Reed of Recon Tools. Uh, this is a uh, the M1 caliber. It's uh, kind of one of these no-brainers. As soon as I see it, I understand what it does, and
1: uh, um, we love it over here thanks a lot for everything great. today yeah thanks sean really appreciate it great talking to you likewise take care
0: all right how about that interview with christian reed over at m1 uh you know guys really understood what they were doing with kickstarter um, I, i'm very very interested in um their approach and uh bringing new people to the platform and having some confidence in that uh before they launch it was a, a great conversation uh, so the song you're listening to right now is uh, from the Sugar People. It's called "Cowboy." Um, this this song predates my time uh, with the band, as far as it being written and recorded. But I got to tell you, it's one of the funnest ones to play when I'm doing uh, my drumming right now. A, a big thing I'm working on is the the six-eight shuffle. The you know the three feel, and this song uh, is kind of an inverted shuffle. Super fun to play, really similar to Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. So uh, here you go, everybody. Listen, Enjoy Cowboy on the way out here, and we'll see you next time.
3: pale, another hill to climb, please tell the truth this one time, how long till the pain will cease, yeah, my dreams are gone, my life is waiting in pots of dirt, that's my only cleansing blood, I can't figure out, why there's no life inside of me. wind rushing my nose keeps running and i lie awake all night my dreams are gone my life is waiting in pots of dirt that's my only cleansing but i can't figure out when will the cloud